Welcome to the Westminster Pulpit, an extension of the worship ministry at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format, and may this sermon nurture your life in a meaningful way as we proclaim our Savior. We now join our senior associate pastor, Dr. John Light. Let's turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're looking at the last verse or two of chapter 3, 2 Corinthians 3, and then reading the beginning of chapter 4. Dr. Walker will be back next week, and we'll be preaching a series on worship for a number of weeks, and then we'll get back to the second half of the Gospel of Mark. But last week he looked at Mark chapter 8, which was a turning point in the Gospel of Mark where Peter confesses Christ, and we saw this idea of seeing clearly Jesus Christ and who He is. And we want to continue this theme from last week of seeing the glory of Christ as He is revealed in the Word of God. I want to begin reading at uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Apostle Paul has been speaking of the glory of the Old Covenant under Moses, and, and by comparison, the surpassing glory of the new covenant in the coming of Christ. Verse 17 and following. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's Word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father, even as you shine your light in the darkness and as we know that we need your assistance, so open our eyes more to your truth. Give us insight and wisdom. Help us to know you better as we understand this portion of your word. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Many of you know the famous story of pastor and hymn writer John Newton, the the story of his conversion as a captain of a slave trading ship is one of, of dramatic evidence of God's working and God's grace. Um, Newton's line in his famous hymn, Amazing Grace, states, I once was blind, but now I see. Last week, Dr. Walker spoke about seeing clearly who Jesus is, and I want us to continue to think about that theme as we think about how seeing the glory and the beauty 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ is one way to describe conversion, but that seeing Jesus Christ in all of his fullness as he is revealed in the Bible that we continue to see as Christians is also at the heart of how you and I continue to grow in our Christian life, in knowing Jesus Christ. And so, as verse 18 says, being transformed more from glory to glory. The key theme that I want us to look at this morning is this repeated idea that you heard in our text of beholding or seeing Jesus Christ. The fullest statement of, his, of it here is in our final verse, chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I want us to consider that Jesus Christ, the God-man who, who came in the flesh, is the supreme revelation of God's glory, God's love, God's holiness, God's wisdom, God's character and beauty. Uh, But because of our sin and blindness in our natural state and apart from God's grace, we do not see Jesus with the eye of faith. And so we do not trust Him and love Him as we ought. But when a person turns to the Lord in faith and repentance, that conversion, that new birth involves having our eyes opened to truly begin to see who Jesus is, that He is truly God and truly man, that He is the rightful Lord and King and Sovereign of our lives, that He loved us and gave Himself up, His life up for us on the cross for our sins, and He rose again victoriously to restore us to living fellowship with God. And then beyond that, Living the Christian life means knowing Him more and more, knowing more of His love, rejoicing in Him. And we grow in knowing Christ through the Word of God. And so we are conformed more and more to the image of God. Here are the three main points I want us to see. Number one, Jesus Christ reveals the glory of God supremely. Secondly, conversion is having our eyes opened to see the glory of Christ. And finally, We continue to grow in knowing Christ by seeing Him as He is revealed in the Word of God. First then, Jesus Christ reveals the glory of God supremely. Chapter 4, verse 4 contains the phrase, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What a striking statement that is. What a What a declaration about who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is the very image of God. If you want to know God, look at Jesus Christ. He is the perfect revelation, the perfect unveiling of who God is. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 states it this way, He, that is Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. You can't be more specific in describing that. Do we want to understand who God is? Look at Jesus. He's he's the radiance of the glory of God. Or think of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, a verse that we often hear at Christmas time. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, the Word 
made flesh. Here in 2 Corinthians 3, Paul is, is comparing the ministry of the old covenant given through Moses with the new covenant that is ushered in and accomplished by Jesus Christ. Both have glory. Both are glorious. Both are gracious. But the new covenant accomplished by Christ is far more glorious. It is the fulfillment. It is the reality of all that was foreshadowed. Think of it. We, if you read here in chapter 3, you, you find a discussion of Moses and his shining face. When he received the Ten Commandments on the mountain, it was so glorious that for a time, when he came down from the mountain and was among the Israelites, his face shone. What an experience that would be. And he had to veil his face because the people couldn't look at him, but that glory was fading. But by contrast, the glory of Christ is far, far greater. And not only does the glory of Christ compare to the old covenant and far surpass it, but the Bible also tells us that God has revealed His glory and His power in creation. And don't we, don't we often think about that and rejoice in who God is as we look at His marvelous creation? Romans 1 at verse 19 states, For what can be known about God is plain to them. And here Paul is speaking of Gentiles, those who don't have the Word of God. And he says, what, what can be known about God is plain to everyone because God has shown it to them for God's invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. God's wisdom and power are perceived in the things that have been made. And then he concludes, so they are without excuse. It makes us all without excuse. And everyone is accountable to God because of this revelation. So here we see that the glory of God shines forth in creation. Psalm 19 declares, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. And night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? God's creation, the, the psalmist is saying that the creation is like God's universal language, declaring His wisdom and power to every person on the planet. The problem is that by nature, we human beings suppress that truth about who God is. And Romans 1 goes on to describe that suppression and exchanging the glory of God for worshiping idols. Patty and I spent a day in Cape May last week, and uh, we hoped that the butterfly, that the monarch butterfly migration would be going on there. And sure enough, it was, at least in the the beginning stages. Um, It was something It was like something out of a fantasy or fairy tale with monarch butterflies fluttering everywhere. Uh, They were flying over us even in the parking lot near the lighthouse in Cape May. And all the visitors were there, and you just saw everyone observing this and, in a sense, joined in a chorus of wonder and awe at this marvel. How is it that these tiny creatures travel three or 4,000 miles from the northern parts of, of the USA and Canada all the way to central Mexico in their 
fall migration. Yes, there's a scientific explanation, but the Bible tells us that this is just one little piece of God's creation that points to the glory and the wisdom and the power of the Creator. But does everybody believe that? And here's the larger point. All the glory of God in creation, the planets in their perfect orbits, the majesty of the stars, the, the sun that is just right for human life on this earth, the wonders of the ocean, all the amazing varieties of plant and animal life, all this is surpassed by the glory of Jesus Christ. God's special revelation, we would say, of Himself, which is now recorded for us in God's Word. It's marvelous. We've been studying this as Dr. Walker has preached through the Gospel of Mark, the person and work of Jesus Christ revealed in His earthly life and ministry, showing us who God is, the signs and miracles that point to God's power but also point to His compassion, His gracious love and compassion for sheep without a shepherd, and especially, we'll see as we go through the second half of the book of Mark, the love of Jesus Christ that took Him to the cross to set His face like a flint to go to the cross for our sake and to rise in victory. All of these are a revealing of the glory of Christ in the gospel. And in fact, that's the overarching theme of the Bible, Jesus Christ as He is revealed to us. And this brings us to our next point. Secondly, conversion is having our eyes open to see the glory of Christ. Usually the Bible speaks about conversion in terms of coming to believe in Jesus Christ, coming to Him in faith and repentance. But there's also this concept of having the eyes of our heart open to begin to truly see who Jesus is. Look at chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Paul is comparing conversion to the idea of God speaking light into existence at creation. We desperately need God to shine His light on our unbelieving hearts to enable us to see the gospel and to believe who Jesus is and what He has done. But Earlier in verse 4, Paul describes the blindness. He says, in their case, in those who don't believe the gospel, the God of this world, and we know that's Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this world has blinded them. We've been looking at how uh, the gospel accounts of Jesus' miracles and His wonderful teaching with authority, such truth from God, His perfect righteousness and love. And uh, it's easy to think, why did so many people see all that and reject Him and refuse to believe Him and even hate Him? Why could they not see? Well, Dr. Walker has been describing that, but Psalm 135 gives, gives us one part of that answer. The psalm speaks about the foolishness of worshiping idols. And it contains this interesting statement. I'm I'm at verse 15. The idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. 
They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. So he's saying the idols of this, of wood and stone, do not see or speak or hear. It doesn't surprise us. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. And then listen to verse 18. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. So trusting in idols makes you blind and deaf, and you can't speak. All idolatry, whether it's the old-fashioned kind or whether it is in our time the idols of things like money and success and control of our lives or acceptance and beauty or leisure or social media or whatever it is, whatever is the God of your life, whatever it is that holds your highest affection and devotion, whatever we put in the place of God Himself, that idolatry blinds us to the knowledge of God from seeing who Jesus Christ is and trusting in Him. And so then, conversion is really the gift of spiritual sight from God so that for the first time we see Jesus for who He really is, that He is the Lord of lords, that He is the Savior, that He is the Son of God who offers salvation through His death and resurrection. Think again of the life story of John Newton. Newton was raised by a godly mother. His father was almost always at sea on a ship. But his mother taught him the Bible from when he was an infant. She taught him to pray. She taught him to memorize God's Word. She taught him to worship God. And then when he was still a boy, his mother died, and his whole life changed. But he never forgot her teaching. He never forgot her example. He couldn't get the Bible out of his mind. Those verses would come back to him. In other words, John Newton knew much about Jesus Christ, but it was years later that he truly came to see with the eye of faith Jesus Christ. You see, you can know all about Jesus, but still have a veil over your eyes. There are scholars who are experts in the New Testament, but they have no faith in Christ. They do not believe Jesus really did miracles. They discount the resurrection as something like a theological myth. And they don't believe that they need Jesus as the atoning sacrifice, as the propitiation for their sins. Think of the Apostle Paul when he was still Saul. He knew a lot about Jesus. These events were not hidden from him. He was very well informed, but he hated Jesus Christ and he hated all who followed him. He needed to stamp it out. He felt like it was something that was very wrong. And when he saw finally the glorified Christ on the road to Damascus and saw the truth finally and that Jesus is the Lord, his life was totally turned around. And so, each one of us needs to ask ourselves this searching question, have I come to see the glory of Christ in the gospel? Louis Zamperini was a World War II hero whose story was made famous by the book and movie Unbroken. During the war, his plane was shot down in the Pacific, and he survived 47 days on the open sea in shark-infested waters. He was finally rescued, if you want to call it that, by the enemy 
only to spend two years being tortured in a prisoner of war camp. His worst tormentor was called the bird, and Zamperini grew to really hate him. Finally, he was liberated near the end of the war, but his life descended into chaos. He returned to his wife and family, but suffered what today we call PTSD. And he turned to alcohol to find relief. Then in 1949, he and his wife attended a Billy Graham meeting in Los Angeles. They returned the next evening to hear the gospel again, and Zamperini experienced what he would call the best day of his life. He put his trust in Jesus Christ. You see, the best day of Zamperini's life was not his liberation from an earthly prison, but the best day was a day of spiritual liberation when he finally saw the wonder of the cross and the salvation of Jesus Christ, which sets us free. And Zamperini's heart changed from a heart of vengeance and hatred with dreams, he says, of killing the bird. It changed to having a heart of forgiveness and even love for his enemies. Well, this brings us to our final point. We continue to grow in knowing Christ by seeing him as he is revealed in the word of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Notice something important in this verse. Our transformation of Christians into the image of Christ, we could say our sanctification, is closely linked to beholding who He is the glory of the Lord. We grow as we know Christ better, as we see Him more clearly in the Word of God. This truth is a a strong corrective to any view of the Christian life that somehow separates growing in holiness of life and being transformed in how we behave and how we think and how we speak, somehow separating that from knowing Jesus Christ through the Word of God. You cannot separate your growth in holiness from growing and knowing Christ. When you try to do that, when you try to separate it out, it doesn't work. To put it another way, one of the central elements of our sanctification is daily beholding Jesus Christ, daily knowing Him, fellowshipping with Him in the Word of God. Here are some of the other passages of Scripture that bring out this truth. Philippians 3.10, Paul writes, "...that I may know Him," that is Christ, "...and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death." And Paul goes on to say that's his highest goal, knowing Jesus Christ. Or his prayer, Paul's prayer in Ephesians 3.17 and following, he says, he's writing to Christians, and he says, he prays so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And there he's not talking about conversion, you know, our initial indwelling by Christ. He's talking about the powerful daily regular indwelling of Christ, that we would walk in that. And that he goes on, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See what he's praying, that they would grow in knowing the love of Jesus Christ, in knowing Jesus Christ. 
Or Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. So just as you received Christ, walk in Him, rooted in Him. Here's the pattern of the Word of God. Seeing Jesus in His Word means knowing Jesus more deeply, which in turn is fundamentally to grow in His likeness. What happens when we try to disconnect knowing Christ from growing in holiness of life? We end up with only an outward form of holiness. We could say we end up with an empty moralism. It turns into a legalistic list of do's and don'ts. It's not rooted in trusting Jesus Christ and glorifying Him and knowing Him as our Savior and Lord. Pastor theologian Jonathan Edwards in early America wrote much about this. He warned against thinking of Christian faith as mere rational belief or intellectual agreement. Yes, it is that. Yes, it is that, but it is much, much more. He describes it as a sense of conviction of the gloriousness of Christ in our hearts. In other words, he says, a spiritual perception that is always linked to love for Jesus Christ and trust in Him and even joy and rejoicing in Christ. It's not just bare intellectual understanding. It's not just the ability to recite a creed or to go through the motions of formal worship. It has to be with genuine conviction in our hearts, a sense on the heart. And this isn't to lead us into an emotionalism, no, but it's saying that there's got to be conviction, a wholehearted trust and love for Jesus Christ. Let me close with three brief words of application. One is in the area of fighting temptation and sin. As you and I seek to put to death sin, we will only make progress as we do so in the overall context of growing in our walk with Jesus Christ, growing in knowing Christ. In other words, as we daily repent of our sins and ask the Lord to work in our hearts, we can't just turn away from sin. We have to turn to Jesus Christ and call upon Him and walk with Him. We need to be seeking fellowship with Him in prayer and in the Word. We need to be rejoicing in Him and desiring Him. And so all our efforts to put to death sin are part of seeking to know Christ. Secondly, facing suffering. If the whole of our Christian life could be summed up by growing in knowing and seeing Jesus Christ, then what a strong encouragement it is to know that God does not waste one ounce of the sorrows and tears of His children in this life, but that He uses all of these to somehow deepen our knowledge of Jesus Christ. In this life, we only see this dimly, But on the last day, the glory of God will shine forth in the wisdom of His purposes, even in our suffering, that we might know Jesus Christ better. And finally, our strength of hope. The verse says, from one degree of glory to another. That's talking about the transformation that is progressive. We talk about progressive sanctification. But there is coming a future final glory. It's from glory to glory in this life, and we never stop growing. We never arrive in this life. But when we see Jesus' face, 
then we will be finally glorified. That is the blessedness that every believer longs for. And in this dark world, the promise of finally seeing Jesus must be the north star of our lives. John Newton's life was radically changed when he came to truly see the grace of Jesus Christ. I pray that each person here would likewise see by faith the beauty and the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ in the gospel and so be forever transformed by him. Amen. Father, please work your good work in our lives. We feel our weakness. We feel our remaining dullness. We understand the gospel, but Lord, our faith is so often so weak. We pray that you would build us up in Jesus Christ. Thank you that your light has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Westminster Pulpit is courtesy of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You are welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 8 or 11 a.m. To learn more or have questions about the gift of salvation through Christ Jesus our Savior, contact us at westpca.com. Thank you, and may Christ be glorified through this ministry, the Westminster Pulpit.